Section 8 of Short Stories and Poems for Children, Original and Select by Unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Stag Great and tall I tower on high, my powerful antlers pierce the sky. At hounds or horn I'll never fear, or hide me like a stricken deer. Boldly I'll stand and face the crew, and teach them better manners, too. But hark, what sounds are heard afar, and make the poor stag's nerves to jar. Alas, his courage sinks and dies, swiftly o'er hill and dale he flies, to hide him in the thickest shade, and muse on the mad resolve he made. THE POOR MAN'S ACRE A poor man had just one acre of ground, and that was very stony and barren. He cultivated it, nevertheless, with great care, clearing out the stones and weeds, and digging and preparing it for seed. One day, when he was throwing the seed into it, he was addressed by a learned man passing by, who asked him how he could spend so much labor and money on such a wretched piece of ground. The poor man replied that he did so because he trusted that God would do his part to bless it and make it yield a crop, as he had done his to clear and prepare it. THE INHERITANCE On the children of a rich merchant agreeing that they would keep and maintain him as long as he lived, he gave up to them all his property. At first they were very attentive to him, but by degrees they neglected him, and seemed to envy every mouthful of food he took, and scarcely gave him clothes to his back. The old gentleman now began to see his mistake in giving up everything to his children. It would have been better, he said, for them to be begging from me than I from them. Now it happened that an old friend, who had owed the father some money for a long time, paid it to him, after he had given it up for lost. So the merchant got a large chest, and kept all this money locked up in it, only taking out from time to time what he wanted. His children now began to be very civil and attentive to him, in hopes that he would give them this money also. But he took good care not to give them a farthing, and so they were obliged to console themselves with the hope that he would leave it all to them at his death. When he died, they lost no time in opening the box, but found nothing in it except a quantity of bricks and the following lines on a piece of paper. Ungrateful children feel the curse of heaven, and to their prayers not gold, but stones is given. The Sow Children, thus spoke good mamma, listen to my word and law. Manners proper and polite, you must make your soul delight. Always neat and clean and ever sweet as from a limpid river, not as some pigs love to do, wading puddles through and through. Thus she spoke, but soon she saw, all her deeds observed as law, as herself had always done, as the children saw her do. Taking great pains to learn, they soon, just like her, looked and acted, too. They were nothing worse nor nothing better, but all were swine to the very letter. Horse and Sparrow Sparrow Full is thy crib, thou noble steed. Let me partake in time of need a single corn or two. Thou'lt never miss a gift so small. Horse. With all my heart, come to my stall. There's some for me and you. And when summer came on with burning heat, and the gadflies stung the steed's neck and feet, to snatch them up quickly the sparrow was near, 
and the good horse had nothing to suffer or fear. THE LITTLE BASKET MAKER The parents of a little boy named Edward were very rich, and trusting to the money which he would get from them, he took no pains to learn, and would never work or look at a book. Little James, on the other hand, who lived near Edward, was a poor boy, but very diligent and industrious, and was very clever at making baskets. One day, while Edward was fishing by the seaside, and James busy cutting down some branches of willow to make baskets, they were seized and dragged away by some pirates, who put them on board their ship, and intended to sell them as slaves. While they were sailing away, a great storm arose and dashed the ship against a rock on an unknown island. All the crew were lost, except the two boys, who came safe to land, and found the inhabitants to be blackamoors. James now thought that he might please them by setting to work and making some pretty baskets, so, taking out his knife, he cut down some willow branches which were growing there, and platted them into a beautiful basket. Many of the blacks, men, women, and children, seeing James busy with his basket, drew near, and stood round him looking on with great curiosity, as he worked away and sang so merrily. When the basket was finished, he made a present of it to the principal man, or chief, in the island, and now everyone was desirous of having a basket like the other, and James was taken to a nice cottage, surrounded with fruit trees, where he might live quietly and at his ease, with plenty to eat and drink, and make baskets all day long. Edward was also asked to make a basket, but he was so stupid and ignorant that they had no patience with him, and gave him a good beating, and would have killed him if James had not begged and prayed them to spare his life. Having done this to please James, the blacks stripped Edward of his fine clothes and gave them to James, and put James' coarse clothes on Edward, who was also made to wait on James as his servant, and to fetch him plenty of willow wands for baskets. Thus you see that, in every country under the sun, the clever and industrious boy is sure to meet with friends, while he that won't his hands employ his life in misery spends. THE STAG Herbert was only a little boy when his father, who was park-keeper to the great lord, was shot by a poacher. His mother took the best care of him that she could, and when he grew up to be a man, he got his father's place. Herbert was one day out hunting, and having fired at a large stag, missed him, and at the same moment heard piercing groans and cries from the thicket close by. He rode up to see what was the matter, and found that he had shot an old man, whom he had not seen, and who was lying on the ground in the agonies of death. Instantly all the party came round him, and Herbert was almost distracted, and assured him that he had no idea of any one being near, and begged he would forgive him. The dying man then said, You have no need of my forgiveness. It was I that shot your father and now I have met with my just punishment in being shot by his son. It was here, beneath this very oak, that he fell, and now you, without knowing or intending it, have killed his murderer. I have kept my crime secret until now, but God is just before whom I must now appear, and his vengeance no sinner can escape. So saying, the old man expired, while all the beholders were struck with awe and astonishment. Think not, although your crimes elude the light, that all is safe when man is not in sight. 
God watches all with ever-present care, and drags the sinner from his secret lair. THE POOR LABORER Are you not tired with work, poor man? The drops are on your brow. Your labor with the sun began, and you are laboring now. I murmur not to dig the soil, for I have heard it read, that man by industry and toil must eat his daily bread. The lark awakes me with his song that hails the morning gray, and when I mourn for human wrong I think of God and pray. Let others waste their time and health and try each vain delight. They cannot buy with all their wealth the laborer's rest at night. THE CAT Pussy, why so slyly stealing, to the roof thy steps concealing? Ah, a swallow thou hast seen, bird that loves the village green. Or the pool, where insects thronging, yields the food that suits its longing. Now, upon the housetop sitting, tired of all its mazy flitting, Pussy sees it and proposes a sweet meal ere evening closes. But the swallow, too, is clever, and no arrow from the quiver, swifter flies as Pussy now, saw with disappointed brow. Oh, it is a shocking thing, birds should be so swift of wing. So thought Pussy as she crept back again and would have wept, but a mouse she quickly saw, and that stopped her ravenous maw. The Cuckoo George and Michael, on a fine morning in May, were passing through a wood, and heard for the first time the song of the joyous cuckoo. "'That bird forebodes good luck,' said George, who was rather of a superstitious turn of mind. "'I expect I shall have a pocket full of money at least.' "'And why should the good luck be to you?' replied Michael, who was as weak-minded and silly as his companion." I don't know why the cuckoo should be so particularly fond of you. For my part, I rather think that her favors will fall to my share. So, in place of enjoying the beauty of the morning, and listening with delight to the simple and pleasing notes of the cuckoo, these foolish, bad-tempered boys began to quarrel and fight, until at last they parted, both well thrashed and bruised, and in the worst humor possible with each other. Next day our two combatants met at the doctor's, and while he bandaged their wounds and bruises, they told him how the quarrel had arisen, and asked him for which of them he thought the cuckoo intended her favors. "'Why, neither, to be sure,' replied the doctor. "'Fools that you are. But for me, for, has she not sent you to me with broken heads and a long bill to pay, and thus put money in my purse?' Quarrels like these excite our ridicule and end in loss to each poor silly fool. THE DISCONTENTED SQUIRREL In a pleasant wood on the western side of a ridge of mountains there lived a squirrel who had passed two or three years of his life very happily. At length he began to grow discontented and one day fell into the following train of thought. What, must I spend all my time in this spot, running up and down the same trees, gathering nuts and acorns and dozing away months together in a hole. I see a great many of the birds who inhabit this wood ramble about to a distance wherever their fancy leads them, and, at the approach of winter, set out for some remote country, where they enjoy summer weather all the year round. My neighbor Cuckoo tells me he is just going, and even little Nightingale will soon follow. To be sure, I have not wings like them, but I have legs nimble enough, and if I do not use them, I might as well be a mole or a dormouse. 
I dare say I could easily reach to that blue ridge which I see from the tops of the trees, which, no doubt, must be a fine place, for the sun comes directly from it every morning, and it often appears all covered with red and yellow, and the finest colors imaginable. There can be no harm, at least, in trying, for I can soon get back again if I don't like it. I am resolved to go, and I will set out tomorrow morning. When Squirrel had taken this resolution, he could not sleep all night for thinking of it, and, at peep of day, prudently taking with him as much provision as he could conveniently carry, he began his journey in high spirits. He presently got to the outside of the wood, and entered upon the open moors that reached to the foot of the hills. These he crossed before the sun was high, and then, having eaten his breakfast with an excellent appetite, he began to ascend. It was heavy, toilsome work, scrambling up the steep sides of the mountains, but Squirrel was used to climbing, so for a while he proceeded expeditiously. Often, however, he was obliged to stop and take a breath, so that it was a good deal past noon before he had arrived at the summit of the first cliff. Here he sat down to eat his dinner, and, looking back, was wonderfully pleased with the fine prospect. The wood in which he lived lay far beneath his feet, and he viewed with scorn the humble habitation in which he had been born and bred. But when he looked forward, he was somewhat discouraged to observe that another hill rose above him, fully as distant as that to which he had already reached, and he now began to feel stiff and fatigued. However, after a little rest he set out again, though not so briskly as before. The ground was rugged, brown, and bare, and to his great surprise, instead of finding it warmer as he got nearer the sun, he felt it grow colder and colder. He had not travelled two hours before his strength and spirits were almost spent, and he seriously thought of giving up the point, and returning before night should come on. While he was thus deliberating with himself, clouds began to gather round the mountain and to take away all view of distant objects. Presently a storm of mingled snow and hail came down, driven by a violent wind, which pelted poor Squirrel most pitifully, and made him quite unable to move forwards or backwards. Besides, he had completely lost his road, and did not know which way to turn towards that despised home, which it was now his only desire again to reach. The storm lasted till the approach of night, and it was as much as he could do, benumbed and weary as he was, to crawl to the hollow of a rock at some distance, which was the best lodging he could find for the night. His provisions were spent, so that, hungry and shivering, he crept into the farthest corner of the cavern, and rolling himself up, with his bushy tail over his back, he got a little sleep, though disturbed by the cold and the shrill whistling of the wind amongst the stones. The morning broke over the distant tops of the mountains, when Squirrel, half frozen and famished, came out of his lodging, and advanced as well as he could, towards the brow of the hill that he might discover which way to take. As he was slowly creeping along, a hungry kite, soaring in the air above, espied him, and making a stoop, carried him off in her talons. Poor Squirrel, losing his senses with the fright, was borne away with vast rapidity, and seemed inevitably doomed to become food for the kite's young ones, when an eagle who had seen the kite seize her prey, pursued her in order to take it from her, and overtaking her, 
gave her such a blow as caused her to drop the squirrel in order to defend herself the poor animal kept falling through the air a long time till at last he alighted in the midst of a thick tree the leaves and tender boughs of which so broke his fall that though stunned and breathless he escaped without material injury and after lying a while came to himself again but what was his pleasure and surprise to find himself in the very tree which contained his nest ah said he my dear native place and peaceful home never let me be again tempted to leave you lest i undergo a second time all the miseries and dangers from which i have now so wonderfully escaped End of section eight.